When you think of great sporting moments, you probably don't think of movies and sleeping pills. But that's exactly the recipe that led to one of Australia's greatest Davis Cup moments some 60 years ago. While the achievement itself has been well documented, some of the details have never been revealed. Until now. This is the backstory. The year was 1959, and Australian tennis had suffered a setback. Rousing reception at the Los Angeles airport for tennis hero Alex Olmedo. The 22-year-old Peruvian sensational play as a member of the US team upset Australia in the Davis Cup matches. Members of the team display the famous trophy which the Aussies have held since 1954. We had lost in 58. We were very disappointed. This is Neil Fraser, who was 25 years old in 1959 and part of one of the fiercest rivalries in tennis history. Australia-Americans were sort of a routine match. In other words, they were the two best tennis nations at the time. Nowadays, Australia and America have a much more storied rivalry, but what was the climate between the countries at this moment? We played most of the Davis Cup finals. This one was... um, no different, so we were very anxious to get the Davis Cup back. Between 1938 and 1959, Australia and the USA were the only two teams who met in the Davis Cup Challenge Round, the final. That 16 consecutive years, with time off for World War II, where no other country even got a look in. The Davis Cup, symbol of world supremacy in men's amateur tennis, is on the line. The Davis Cup final between Australia and America reaches its climax. The U.S. is defending against Australia. The Cup's been out of Australia since the Americans took it in the last challenge round, but now it's back again. America retained the Davis Cup. But after losing in 58, the Aussies had some work to do before they could challenge the Americans to a rematch and legendary captain Harry Hopman trusted Fraser to get the job done. Well, I I was the oldest member of the team, and uh, I think I was considered by Hopman, not that he ever told me, that I think I was his number one man at the time. And I think, well, he placed uh, a lot of emphasis on me being the sort of leader of the team. A team that included Roy Emerson, who played doubles with Fraser, and a very young Rod Laver. That was when I was... First getting started into the Davis Cup, I think Harry Hopman put myself into the singles, which I maybe I thought it was a little surprise, but uh, I guess he was thinking that he needed myself to get the experience. The Australian team had to play five other countries and earn the right to challenge the USA for the Cup. America was the holder of the Cup and they had the right to um, have a buy all the way through the competition and they, other countries had to play off in various zones. And the only time that American zone was uh, available to play matches was uh, between July, August, September. And so um, between Wimbledon and the American Championships, a period of about seven or eight weeks, we played six Davis Cup matches during this time. First stop... Mexico City. And Mexico City, as most people know, is about uh, six or 7,000 feet above sea level. Very hard to control the ball. A normal shot that you would hit at Wimbledon would uh, bounce on the service line, was bouncing on the baseline. And so it took a while to get uh, used to. After winning in Mexico, they flew to Canada, where they played the Canadians, and then the Cuban team, 
Don't ask me the reason why we played Cuba and Canada. After winning those matches, it was on to the US. Where Hotman and his charges won against Italy in Philadelphia, then took on India in Boston. We beat India and so we got through to the final of the Davis Cup and we played the USA in Forest Hills. At Forest Hills, New York. On the 28th to the 31st of August. Fitting in uh, six matches in the period of time between Wimbledon and the US is unheard of nowadays and uh, it's hard for us to imagine that we did do it. Despite sailing through most of their matches in the lead-up to the final, the 1959 Australian team was not the strongest on paper. Sports Illustrated said at the time, Measured against the great Australian teams of the past, Hotman's 1959 team is strictly second grade. Harsh, but not entirely unfair. After some defections to the rival Pro Tour, the Australian team was young and lacking in experience. Here's Rod Laver. When I came along... That's when Hoden Rosewall moved into the pro ranks. And so Hop had made Neil Fraser the main mainstay in the singles. Yeah, it was a learning curve, I guess. And I'm at this stage, I'm, I don't know, 21, somewhere in there, and hadn't been too experienced in getting a lot of match play. In Fraser's words... The Americans were very confident of winning. But Australia had a secret weapon, Harry Hopman. A well-respected player himself, Hopman had been Davis Cup captain since 1938 and had forged a formidable reputation on the world stage. He was our manager, he was our coach, he was our captain, he was our travel agent. It was always comforting to look at a Davis Cup tie and you would see Harry Hopman sitting there for us and you would look at the captain of the other teams and uh, you would think, well, you know, we got one up there. He was a man who did a lot for our lives, not only in tennis, but also in uh, being a, a true Australian. So Hopman and his number one man, Fraser, went into day one of the final feeling confident. Now once more, crowds converge on the Westside Tennis Club Stadium to see the opening match of the 1959 Davis Cup Challenge Round. The first day, I played Alex Olmedo, and I played probably the best tennis I've played. And then Rod played Barry McKay, had advantages, had opportunities to win, but he couldn't and lost to Barry McKay, and so we won match all. Then came the doubles, Fraser and Emerson against Wimbledon champion Alex Olmedo and Butch Buckholtz. We played as good a doubles match as I think we could have played. Uh, We completely dominated the Americans in that regard. They won in straight sets, giving Australia a 2-1 lead after day two. And we only had to win one of them two matches of the final day. First up on day three, Rod Laver against Alex Olmedo. It was a really torrid battle. Rod played as, as well as he'd played on tour uh, up to that stage. Had set points, I think, in every set. But the only won one of those sets, he lost the other three. Didn't play the way I wanted to play, but mainly that's because they were a better player. So the fifth and final rubber between Fraser and McKay was sudden death. Winner takes all. But because Laver and Olmedo had played for so long, there was a problem. There was no way we were going to finish our match if it went past one or two sets because of uh, the daylight and the time. They played the first two sets, Fraser won the first, then McKay levelled, before the rest of the match was postponed until the next day. What's going through your mind at one set all at the end of Sunday night? Uh, the difficulty was you get a bit uptight 
You're representing your country. It's the final of the Davis Cup. The responsibility of playing the fifth match wasn't uh, easy to relax. Obviously, Hopman could see that um, I was a bit on edge because um, he asked me, what do you want to do at night so that you get a good night's sleep? I said, dear me, uh, I'm not too sure. Uh, I suppose we've got to have a meal and probably if we go to a movie for a couple of hours, I'll be able to take my mind off the match. The whole team went together, including the captain. Fraser doesn't remember which movie they saw, but he does remember that Hopman's mind was never far from the next day's play. Even before the movie had started, Hopman thought we were, there was a bit of a draft he could feel, and I remember he asked me, I said, no, I don't, I don't, I can't feel any draft, but he, he thought it was, and he was worried that I might get a bit of a chill in the neck or something sitting in the theatre for two hours. So he went to the management and asked, could we move seats, because uh, he didn't want us to be sitting in this draft. And so he duly came back and told us all get up and move to another part of the theatre. First time I've ever done that in my life, and the last time I've ever done it. When the team got back to the hotel, the next question was rest, specifically how Fraser could get a good night's sleep. Hopman had a rather surprising suggestion. He said, well, there's a doctor friend I know nearby here that uh, can maybe get you a sleeping tablet. I said, well, I've never taken a sleeping tablet. If it's going to help, I'll take it. And so I took the sleeping tablet for the first time in my life. Now, taking your first ever sleeping pill the night before arguably the biggest moment of your career may seem risky, but luckily... I woke up, you know, keen and fresh and ready to go the next day. And if Fraser was still feeling anxious about the resumption of the match, it wasn't obvious to his teammates. I guess he was nervous, but he certainly didn't portray that way. Maybe the sleeping pills, maybe we all should be taking sleeping pills. (laughs) So you arrive at the venue. Describe to me the atmosphere... The stadium was reasonably packed out in the first three days, but uh, I remember playing uh, on the Monday. It was nowhere near uh, packed at all, which was I was grateful for because the support was not as uh, loud as it was for, for the Americans when the home nation. Whatever the reason, Fraser got off to a great start in the first set of the day, the third set of the final rubber. I did get an early jump on Barry, got an early break and managed to win the third set. That gave me the confidence, leading two sets to one. Spoilers, Fraser won, and he won convincingly. I can remember some of the points, but in particular I can remember the final point when he was serving and I had match point and uh, we had a bit of a rally. He came into the net and uh, I got a lob over his head and I could see he didn't get back to it well enough and he attempting to get it back and hit it out over the side Fraser wins, 8-6, 3-6. 6-2 and 6-4. Australia regains the Davis Cup. I finished up, I think, jumping the net and jumping with joy, of course. I think we're all pretty happy with ourselves because we'd lost the year before, came back to the US again. So I'm sure we had a few beers and enjoyed it. It was the first Davis Cup title for Fraser, Laver and Emerson. And for Fraser, it was a special moment for another reason. And I was also lucky enough that my parents were in the uh, gallery. It was the only time my father and mother ever saw me play overseas. Why was it that they hadn't seen you play much and why did they choose to be there for this tie? Well, parents in those days didn't travel anywhere near like they do nowadays because uh, it was rather expensive. There was no money in the game uh, for players and my father was uh, a judge 
and he had obligations. But this particular year, he was asked to go overseas. We were confident of getting through to the final and he could plan to be there in September. I remember uh, rushing over to my mother and father. I uh, was sitting in a box and hugged my mother and got congratulations from my father. And uh, it's one of the prize photos I have at home of the Women's Weekly. They had us on the cover of the Women's Weekly, myself hugging my mother at Forest Hills. And uh, it's uh, a memory that uh, 60 years ago, but I can still vividly recall. It was the start of an incredible year for Fraser. The tops in tennis at Forest Hills, where Australia won back the Davis Cup. And Neil Fraser, the southpaw from down under, sprang an upset by defeating Alex Olmedo, America's Peruvian Indian star, and two weeks later, repeated the triumph to win the United States singles crown as well. It was the best 12 months of my life, tennis life, uh, in playing. I had a great Davis Cup journey, and then I won uh, the United States Championships, uh, singles, doubles, and mixed. That's right. At that year's US Championships, now the US Open, Fraser won the men's singles, the men's doubles, and the mixed doubles, a feat he repeated again 12 months later in 1960. Nobody has done that since. I went on the next year and won Wimbledon, and I was recognised as number one player in the world. And it all started with bringing the Davis Cup back to Australia, possibly with the aid of a movie and a sleeping tablet. It was the greatest highlight of my career, I think, and the one I'm most proud of. If you'd like to hear more episodes of Backstory, make sure you subscribe. Subscribe.